Hey there, BroadwayCon listeners. BroadwayCon 2017, presented by Mischief Management and Playbill, is less than two months away. You can find information and tickets at broadwaycon.com. We are still accepting submissions for our live show. We're calling the show Fandemonium, and it's all about celebrating relationships between fans and their heroes in the Broadway community. And we want you to join us on the main stage to be a part of it. So if there is someone in the Broadway community that you admire, make a 90-second video about it and post it to our Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr pages using the hashtag BroadwayConPodcast, and you may be picked to join us for the show. I also want to tell you that we've added Bandstand, Come From Away, and the new play Significant Other to the lineup of our First Look series, which means that attendees will get an exclusive first look at these shows. For Bandstand, we'll be joined by stars Laura Osnes and Corey Cott, as well as director Andy Blankenbuehler. For Come From Away, we'll be joined by the star Jen Colella and musical supervisor Ian Eisendrath. And for Significant Other, we'll be joined by stars Lindsay Mendez, Rebecca Naomi Jones, Gideon Glick, playwright Joshua Harmon, and director Trip Cullum. You guys, there is so much to know about what's happening at BroadwayCon this year, so be sure to check out broadwaycon.com for all the details. Okay, now to the show. I know a place where you belong. Come follow me and join the song. Welcome to Broadway Con! The podcast, the show for the theater kid in all of us. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, I am obsessed with today's guest, my friend, Nika Graf Lanzaroni. Nika is the co-host of the great podcast, The Ensemblist, along with Mo Brady, who we've had on the show a bunch of times. The Ensemblist just wrapped up a fantastic season, which explores the ensembles of the nine Pulitzer Prize-winning musicals in American history. It was a spectacular season, so go check it out if you haven't. In addition to being a podcaster, Nika is also an incredible Broadway actress. She made her Broadway debut in 2010 in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. She went on to play Velma Kelly in the Broadway production of Chicago. And she can currently be seen co-starring in the hit off-Broadway production of Sweet Charity, directed by Lee Silverman and starring Sutton Foster. I love her. Here's our conversation. Like a drunk on the dance floor, I'm spinning to the tune of my crazy Graf Lanzaroni. Hi, Patrick Hines. I cannot believe this is our first ever one-on-one. I know, and I didn't... <laughs> Do you remember me being like, oh, wait, just me? Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess like that's during business hours and like Mo has to work and whatever. <laughs> this I is was fine. just saying how we just like Mo is basically just like a co-host. Mm-hmm. He just is here all the time. He just like sits on the floor. He like doesn't even bother with a chair anymore. On the but the floor is hard and the chair has a cushion. Soft and cushy. Yeah. Um. Congratulations Thank you. on your opening. Thanks. Um. Tell me everything about Sweet Charity. Um. Uh. It's this very cool. We're. It's. It is a revival, but we are sort of calling it a revisical. Um. In Love. The uh. Because Mary Mitchell Campbell is very funny and awesome, and that's what she dubbed it, and we were like, yeah, that. Um. <laughs> And it is this very stripped down, very different production of Sweet Charity, and it is it is a charity that you, uh, you know, it's um, it's really different. There's normally there is a cast of thirty people. We've got twelve total. Wow. Um, and Mary Mitchell has 
reduced the size of the orchestra from something like 28 to 6. Um, and it's an all-female band led by Georgia Stitch. Yes! They are awesome. And um, Lee Silverman has directed this show with a female gaze, through the female gaze, which I think is um, a way that the show's never really been done before and has been... It's been a really interesting and amazing process because Lee is this unbelievable storytelling unicorn of a human and Sutton is this unbelievable unicorn of a human. And to watch them work together and see the way that this show has come together is like, it's just, it's a miracle. (laughs) What was your audition process like? How many did you have? Um, I had one one initial audition um, and one epic dance callback day. And that was it. Wow. Is this your first off-Broadway show? No, this is my third. What were the other two? Um, I was in the original company of that, uh, the TYA version of Susicle that was oh. done. Uh, with, there's a cast album of that. Wow. Um, so that was really cool. That was also working really closely with uh, Steve Flaherty and Lynn Ahrens to strip down Susicle and to make, to streamline the storytelling and to make it uh, sort of sustainable for young audiences. Yeah. Um, and it, that was a really great experience. Um, and that's how I got my equity card also. Um, and wow. then I was in the in the sort of wintry, winter-ish of 2011, like February, March-ish. I was in the Transport Group's production of Hello Again. Mm. So, wow. Yeah. Um, I wa- so and this now is, this. This is, maybe we're not supposed to ask a question like this, but... Is, has your show been directed in such a way that were it to move to a larger space, it would be, do you think they would add people or do you think that it would stay the stripped down version that you guys are doing? Um, I am not, uh, I, I, I honestly have no idea. I think that Lee is really uh, focused in the this particular story being told by this configuration of people. So I think we would have to add coverage um, because right now we only have one, one, uh, one female swing and one male swing and that's it so but that's and that's even a lot for off-broadway usually you have no one right um so we would have to add coverage and maybe change the way some things are tracked but i i think that this uh configuration of people is sort of integral to the story that we were trying to tell yeah have you ever been in a show with so many women on the creative team i haven't and how is that it's it's so wonderful. So, in talking about doing um, the show through, like the fe- being directed by the like th- by the, through the female gaze, like yeah. through yeah. Um, have you ever had an experience like that before, where it has been like specifically um, been told from like from the women's the women's perspective? The this entire story, because it's charity story, is told from the uh, from a woman's perspective. But there's something about. Um, the sort of inherent understanding of what it means to be a woman in this world uh, that obviously since the, our, our entire creative team with the exception of Josh Bagas is, is a, is female. We, there's a lot of explaining that doesn't have to happen and there's a lot of mm-hmm. shared experience and there's a lot of knowing how something like this or an experience like this has made you feel and knowing what has been set up in society for your success or failure for those reasons and i think that now more than ever trying to tell this story about a woman who is trying to throw off the patriarchy yeah um is 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 so important because it's the same conversation the show is approaching its 50th anniversary and we're still having this conversation so clearly we need to keep having this conversation and to have 
such intelligent, brilliant women in charge of this super important beast of a show, um, I think is really sort of current and vital and vibrant and amazing. And you guys have just been extended again. Uh, yeah, we got one more week, which oh my is great. Goodness. How long January eighth? Wow. Do you, is this going to like be extended and extended and extended? Well, because mm-hmm. it's not it's not their space, so there's oh. you know. Oh right, 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 right. So we're at the signature. We're at the littlest space. It's like two hundred something seats in the signature. Wow. We're all right on top of each other. Oh, it's pretty great. I know you well enough to not talk about the future, so we're just going to move on. Yeah, I love you for that. It's <laughs> really like. A, it's not my job. B, mm-hmm. it's not my money. And C, like, I don't think it, it, my job is to do my job. Yeah. And I don't really, I'm just having such a wonderful time that I don't really want to let too much cloud the fact that, like, I get to go to work and sleep in my own bed and do something yeah. I'm proud of and also feel like it, that the experiences like that don't happen so often. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they do, I just want to like sit in them as long as I possibly can to yeah. like build that sort of bubble of, you know, and some days when it is my job to think about that stuff, then it's a whole different hat that gets put on. But it's really nice to not have to think about all of that other stuff. I love that. I love that. I love that about you. Um, can we t- go back and talk about your life a little bit? Oh, sure. Um, so first of all, you have been in some of my absolutely favorite shows. Oh, cool. But we'll get to those later. I want to talk about like your growing up and like where you're from. You're from LA, right? Yeah, born and raised. <clears throat> and you have um, like an amazing like theater like legacy. Yeah, my whole I'm the third generation of my family to be in show business um and you know like i say it's really lovely to not have to explain the fundamental thing that makes you who you are to your family and i know how lucky i am to not have to do that um because i have seen over a large spectrum of human experience friends uh not be able to have those conversations about many aspects of their lives with their families and i feel really really lucky that exactly who i am is exactly who they are in yeah. In a lot of ways. How was like showbiz a big part of your growing up? Like when you were a kid, did you get to just be a kid or, or was there like tap classes and ballet and you well, know? There was. I desperately wanted to be a child actor and my parents really were against that. So there's a part of me that's still like a little mad at them for um, <laughs> not letting me do that. Um, but it was also because it, when you grow up in Los Angeles, it's it's sort of a company town in a lot of ways. And the way that I grew up in Los Angeles um, was with a lot of other kids whose parents also were in show business. And so nothing about that was weird because it was kind of what, like, your parent's a doctor and my parent's a lawyer and your parent plays a doctor on TV and your parent <laughs> plays a lawyer on TV. And, like, there was yeah. nothing that was weird about it because it was so, like, highly saturated within that community that I grew up in but it was cool because when I was little I got to like every Friday was tape day on my mom's show and your mom um, was on Mr. Belvedere she sure was I loved that show I'm sure most of the listeners are far too young to remember probably oh boy Um, (laughs) Mr. Belvedere did the uh, agency send you over is there something wrong no 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 it's uh it's just that I wasn't expecting someone like you No one ever expects someone like me. Yes, well, regardless, before I hire anybody, I have to make sure that they have certain qualifications. Yes. I mean, uh, do you know anything about cooking? 
cooking. Isn't that where you put raw things over fire until they get hot and you eat them? Uh, but yeah, Friday was tape day, and so I would get to go after school um, to ABC and watch tape day until and like hang out backstage and run around and wow, been that. But that was like normal because that's what happened on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you don't know, when you don't know that that's not you know a normal experience then you don't really think anything of it right when you were a kid and you know your mom has this pedigree of being you know a a beautiful broadway actress but also a a tv sitcom star well how did you make the decision about the kind of acting you wanted to do um i think well also my father is a genius composer and brilliant 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 pianist and an arranger. My husband's going to kill me for the fact that you had to say that and I didn't. No, no, no. But <laughs> but it's what, you know, it's a, uh, yeah. And they met doing the original Broadway production of Grease. I just can't handle that. And like, chances are, if there's a disco album you've ever heard, like he's playing on it somewhere. And wow. Like, yeah, he was a real, like he would run around. He was a real studio musician and played gigs all day and then would go do the show at night. And that was his life in New York as Did well. Did he love theater? Like he didn't just want to like gig with like the rock stars. He really wanted to be in the theater scene. Um, It was a job. Like it was a, it was a steady job. Um, I mean, my father has two master's degrees, one in education and one in conducting and, and also his undergrad. Like he's incredibly smart and incredibly accomplished and um, so chill that like it really takes a lot to get some of <laughs> yeah. that out of him. Yeah. Um, but you hear it. You hear it in every in every piece of music he arranges. Like you hear that, um, you know, he's a real perfectionist and he's a real stickler for finding the right notes to go in this chord. And there's so much of that that I really wish I had more of uh-huh, in me and uh-huh. and some of it that I'm grateful that I do have um but I feel like I spend a lot of time talking about my mom's side of the family and not enough time talking about <laughs> yeah, my dad totally, so here I am. Totally. but then um, how did you like how did you decide not to well how did you decide how did you decide what you wanted to do I have like several different there's like there it's a sort of several pronged thing that that led me to um wanting to do musical theater. Uh, one of which is that nobody else in my family can dance. Ah. So it was my way of separating myself out and saying, and saying like, I am here and I am my own person and here's the thing I really want to do. Just for point of reference, and I, I, I don't really want to talk about it, but can you just tell the, uh, the listeners who the members of your family are? Oh, sure. So um, there's a whole lot of us. My mom, <laughs> her name is Eileen Graff, and she did three Broadway shows and aforementioned sitcom and um, has, you know, guested on nine million television shows um, <laughs> and some movies. And yes, uh, my her first cousin is Tony Award winner Randy Graff, and my uncle is Todd Graff, child actor turned adult actor turned screenwriter <laughs> director of such movies as Camp. Camp. <laughs> I looked him up before I even knew you. I was like, Danny from Baby directed Camp? It's oh all my true. God. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I went to that camp. Yes, that's right. And it's so deep, that mafia. It runs so deep. <laughs> so these are the people in your tribe. So these are the people in my tribe. And, um, and you could dance. And I could dance. And my grandfather, my my mother and uncle and two uncles' dad, um, was a group singer and um, sang back up on everything you've ever heard on the oldie station and had his own vocal group that they lived in Vegas for a little while in the 50s and opened for the Rat Pack at the Sands. Like, he was an incredibly accomplished um, 
you know, composer and arranger and singer in his own right as well. Yeah. Um, so it's all, it's all in there. Did you, <laughs> did you make the decision to study dance to be different? No, because I was, I was a toddler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was the two and a half. When, when you started they, dancing? Yeah. Like when they put me in baby ballet, um, I was little, little kid. Steve, Daisy's two and a half. We need to get her in baby ballet. Baby ballet. <laughs> and I just always loved it so much. And um, everything, it was like I was an overly scheduled only child because I was an only child. And yeah. you have to like do things with them rather than just like <laughs> leave them to their own devices, I we guess. We are going through that right now. We literally are like, what do we do with her all weekend? Yeah. Um, so... Going to dance class all day is a really good way to get them out of the house. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but it was always as I, as whatever it was became, okay, now you can move forward in this or you can take more ballet class. It was always that, that one. And wow. I remember my first Broadway show that I ever saw was Jerome Robbins Broadway. Yeah. And I was six. And I remember freaking out because it was and I remember like I can sort of still see it a little bit like we were in the mez somewhere and it was during the on the town section and I was watching this group of like sailors doing ballet but it was in theater but it was a thing and then all of a sudden like something clicked in my head that was like oh no that that's the thing that's the thing Wow. That's so the thing. What kinds of opportunities did you have in L.A. to do theater stuff? Not, uh, I went to a really wonderful performing arts high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I didn't really do a ton of, um, like, no, I didn't really do, like, community theater or anything like that other than, like, writing and performing shows in my own living room. <laughs> um, there just wasn't, it, I feel like I spent so much of my childhood, like, getting the basics and getting training done and I was in a children's choir also like a competitive children's choir and we would tour and there was a whole I did a whole bunch of cool stuff and I would sing occasionally on sessions here and there when like they needed a kid's voice or um like a scratch track for something um because my my father has a recording like had a recording studio still has a recording studio in the backyard wow um so it was a whole lot of like come here sing this thing we want to see what it sounds like. Um, and you can still hear six-year-old Nika on my mom's children's album. No way. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which is available in the Broadway Cares store. <laughs> what, you, did you go to Boston Conservatory? Yeah. How did you even... I mean, I when I grew up taking classes at the Boston Conservatory. You did? Yeah. I mean, it changed... It, I'm very glad to not be an actor for no reason other than that I wasn't good at it, but it... I mean, doing those cl- weekend classes changed my life. Yeah. Um, the Boston Conservatory is such a special place. How did you yes. hear about it? I don't remember. And my mother will kill me for not remembering. Because <laughs> um, it was, when I was applying to colleges, it was just like on the list of schools you applied to. Yeah. Um, and I was waitlisted. I didn't even get in wow. at first. Yeah. Um, and I was like all set to go to Ithaca college and I was a legacy kid. My mom went to Ithaca and like ready, set, go. And then I remember, um, I, we were doing sweet charity at the time actually. And, um, and I came back, uh, like came to the theater and the like director of the program was standing, like standing in the doorway and was like, go call your mom, go call your mom right now. Um, and that's when she said that like an envelope came and can we open it? And I was like, yeah, open it. <laughs> and she was like, oh, you got in off the wait list. And I don't know. It was something about like stepping into that tiny little weird dark lobby. Yeah. And it was just like 
funky and strange and there was yeah. like weird music coming out of like coming around every corner because well, you're like in by, right by berkeley college as right. well it's, and now they've merged so yes. like it's a whole now it's a whole other thing it's like unrecognizable the school but it was just like this weird little funky place yeah where everyone was like you want to do some stuff okay <laughs> yeah i mean not to mention the fact that just going to college in boston i went to emerson is like just a, a wonderful little town yeah and and you're you're surrounded by young people all the yeah, time, and totally. you're surrounded by people who hopefully, I mean, sometimes you have to seek it out a little bit, but you're surrounded by people who want to do other things with their lives, and people who have grown up in many different ways. And yeah. it's, I think, for you know, I grew up in a large city in in a fairly diverse community, and um, but a lot of people who I went to college with that was not necessarily their growing up experience, and so it was amazing to sort of watch people become people mm-hmm. and become the people they are. Did you come to New York a lot while you were in school to see shows and stuff? Um, We would come down like for Thanksgiving because my uncle was here at the time and um, my cousin Randy was still here. She's in Jersey now, so it's not like she's not here. <laughs> like I can see her apartment building from my kitchen window. Um, <laughs> no, I literally can. That's so funny. It, really? Yeah, I really can. That's so funny. Yeah. Can I tell you two quick stories? Of course. So my child, um, before she was verbal, like she would make, like she would make like goo goo gaga noises. I'm not kidding. One day she literally went, blah, 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 blah. Randy Graff. No, I swear to God. Like my husband wasn't there. I screamed, and he's like, "What happened?" I'm like, "She just said Randy Graff, like clear as day." That's she said Randy thing. Graff. Yeah, like it was the first <laughs> real words she ever said. Randy Graff with like a, a hard D that she still can't make. Well, now you know. Now you're going to have to tell her that. I know. And um, a couple weeks ago, I was at Pearl Studios doing an interview for something else. And I came out. I was walking out of my room. And Randy Graff was walking out of another room. And these kids, these like 15-year-old girls, went berserk. Oh, my God. Berserk. That's so amazing. Yeah. I could almost cry telling you the story. And Randy was like a deer in hell. She was just like, "What? I don't even know what's happening right now. And she just stopped and talked to them. And these kids were just went crazy. It was oh, so cool. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. That anyway. so happy. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't even remember what we were talking about. We were talking about um, coming to New York to see shows oh, yeah. in college. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not as much as some of my other friends did but like we would do Thanksgiving in New York every now and then if it was a time that we could all like be together so my parents would come to New York and then I would take the bus down and we would do Thanksgiving in New York sometimes and or Christmas in New York or some other holiday like it it and on those trips we would see stuff but I grew because my parents both my parents grew up in New York City so my my mother's from Queens and my father's from Brooklyn and so my whole life we only ever came to New York so I didn't know that like you could go other places on like <laughs> right, summer vacation totally. other than New York City. Um, and I really would spend my entire like the entire time there like trying to devise a plan where like I didn't have to leave. Mm-hmm. It's like the only thing I ever wanted to do was be in New York City. And even if this wasn't what I did with my life, like the wanting to be in New York City sort of supersedes everything else about it do you still feel that way i really do do you love it here i really love it what are your favorite non-theater things here um i'm a bit of a museum rat which ones do you like um are sort of oh god but the thing the thing that's amazing is like the met if you are in a crap mood the met can be free if you need it to be it's true yeah it, it is and our sort of long-standing holiday gift from my husband's grandmother every year. She re-ups our MoMA membership. Yes. But, like, 
with the New York City ID, you get to go to so many museums for free because you live here that you wouldn't necessarily think to go to the Museum of the City of New York. Yep. And there's a whole... There's Have you been to the Transit Museum? I love... I'm the dying tra- to go. That's a good thing to do with a child. Oh, really? A, yeah. Oh, because that's a you, great like, idea. You like go down the stairs uh-huh. and like you run through all the trains and you like really? get to watch history unfold through yeah. your eyes through through physical objects and I think that that's really amazing and like the history of New York and New York City in particular is something that's always fascinated me me. too I spent an entire summer there's like an 11 part documentary oh yeah oh yeah called New York right called New York Um, not by Ken Burns, but a member of the Burns family (laughs) had something to do with this. And I really spent an entire summer watching It's incredible, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it is incredible. It's really worth, like, if you have a, like, if Netflix emails you and is like, come back to DVD, like, do it just to watch that, (laughs) and then cancel it again. Um, Let's talk about, um, you made your Broadway debut in... Women on the Verge. Was Women on the Verge? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because... You know, do you know how I feel about that show? I really do. I mean, I you've told me so many times. So the first time (laughs) I ever met you, we were we were we were like podcast scheming, and we were like, let's get together, me and you and Mo, like let's meet. And I didn't know it was you, and we got to where we were supposed to meet, and you were standing there, and I didn't even know, I didn't make the connection, but I was like, oh my god, that's that's the girl from Women on the Verge. She was on Women on the Verge, and then all of a sudden I was talking to you, Ah. and I was like, oh my god, you're in Women on the Verge. Like, I go berserk for that show. <laughs> How amazing was it to be in it? It was, I like to say, like, that's what I did instead of grad school because I learned enough in those three months to really cover, like, yeah. a super intensive <laughs> two-year program. Was it a hard, was it hard, the show? Um, It was hard. There were a lot of things that were hard about it. There were a lot of challenges and a lot of things that, were they the one thing that was happening? That would have been enough. But it was like that times 12 plus being in the city. Plus it was my Broadway debut. Plus I had never been a principal in anything before in my entire life. Like there was a whole... There was a whole boatload of stuff to sort through all at once. How was it when you got the call that you were making your Broadway debut in a principal role in a brand new musical with Patty LuPone? Um... It was really cool. I was um, I was in the men's shoe section of Saks with my friend DW, who is a stylist <laughs> and a costume designer, and we were both working. We were both. I had done the last workshop of Women on the Verge, um, and we spent like two weeks in the basement of Lincoln Center, where there is no light and no air, and like, <laughs> and I was like, I'd never. And it was also like the first time I had ever super intensely done table work. So like, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what that sort of brain tired, that like theater brain tired felt like. And I was like, it, I'm saying like too much. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a, a whole host of shocking new things, and that was sort of it. And we knew that this production was happening, but we didn't, you know, we didn't know there was no right of first refusal in these contracts there was right. no nothing um and everyday rapture was happening that summer and i was working with dw to help style sherry because you sherry and did? i sherry and i bonded very quickly and she was like i don't understand how you do the things with the clothes can you help me do the things with the clothes and i was like yes i can help you do the things with the clothes and so we were together sort of hanging out all summer Doing during Everyday Rapture, and I'm obsessed with her. I'm, I mean, I'm obsessed with you, but I'm obsessed with her. No, she's a, she's also a unicorn. Yeah. Um, and so we were. I don't. We were shopping out. Like DW had to shop something out, and so I went with him, and I was sitting in a chair, and I was waiting for him to go do whatever it was he had to do, and I didn't feel like standing anymore, and I got this phone call. Um, I got this phone call from my agent, and like there wasn't very good reception in there. I remember, and I picked it up, and and he said. 
so I have I have like it's official you're they want you to go the show is happening and they want you to go with the show and this is amazing and I and I like I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to say and he was like all the way on the other side of this door but he came back because he saw me like all of the color drain from my face (laughs) he was like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make your Broadway debut and this is and here's what's happening oh my god I freaked out and he was like don't tell anybody and I remember going what can I call my mom like (laughs) I was an adult like of course you can call like I don't know all of a sudden every everything I had ever learned about life like drained out of my body in that moment and I was like I have to what and and I hung up the phone and and I just like nodded a whole bunch and then and then that was that I was oh my god in a chair in the men's shoe department at Saks. Oh, that is incredible. <laughs> that was very cool. Um, I love that show so much. I saw it twice. I saw it once on Christmas. I've told you that a hundred times. On Christmas? hmm Yeah. And every time I meet anybody who was in the show, I just talk about it until they just want to get up and leave. Because cool, you were one of the tens, I like to say, the tens of people who saw it. <laughs> It was a particularly blizzardy winter. Yeah, it's true. It was. And there were days after those blizzards that we would look out and be like, hello. <laughs> Did anyone come to the play today? Was hello? there like ever like audiences of fewer than like a couple hundred? Um, There were a couple. There was like a there was a day after a blizzard that we were like, no one's surely no one's showing up. And it was it was a small but mighty crowd. Wow. Yeah. And we were down so many people. And Samantha Schaefer was on in sherry's track and she had never had any rehearsal and like his people were snowed in in new jersey and, oh like, my could not god get, like could not get across the river to come <laughs> to work um can we talk about chicago yeah sure chicago. so i mean i mean just tell the people about chicago um i auditioned for chicago 15 times is over, it really 15 really 15 times over like seven years or something before and just to like be in the play and finally like to the point where I was like, here's the thing, like you can you can give me a job and then I'll go away, but I'm not gonna <laughs> go away until you give me a job. So like, see you in six months, I guess. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. So you, th- it, when did you realize that you were auditioning for Velma? Right. I mean, that audition was specifically for a Velma. Like every other audition had been for an X Y Z, like a just any to be in the show. Um, and this. And this particular audition was um, was for a Velma replacement. But that initial call, there were like 30 to 40 women there and people who like, you know, I had looked up to and I admired and people who I thought were totally incredible. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, yeah. I'm back in the mix. I'll never book this. But like, I got to see <laughs> all of these people be brilliant and hang out. And like, it's really, you know, auditions like that are always really fun because you catch up with people. And, yeah. Like, it's, they're, they're easy. Like, they're easy yeah um because everyone's sort of on the same page um and then and then they whittled that down from like however many to four of us oh my god and then we had long did you know the other three yeah 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 wow. yeah um and uh many of them have and i think almost all of them have done the role at this point i think i can't totally remember i know at least one other has done the role so it was like you um, and rumor willis yeah it was me and rumor willis um <laughs> Yeah, so the four of us, they had, there was like a day long work session. Um, there was like a callback and then another work session. And then I found out that day. Wow. Like that day. And it, that was another, my parents, like I didn't tell my parents, my parents were in town when it was all happening. I didn't tell them. You just didn't want them to know. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Like I didn't, I, I get very, it's not that I'm not superstitious about that stuff, but I don't, I you like don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want, 
anybody else to be thinking about it because then I will think about them thinking about it totally. and like uh, get all in my head and yeah. whatever instead of like just staying in my lane and doing my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were there for many hours and dancing and singing and dancing and singing and talking and walking and talking and you know it was a long time. And um, I left. I went home. You know, we were done. And I remembered I was sitting on my bed and I had just poured myself a Diet Coke and it didn't like I just didn't. It was I had so much adrenaline still left in my system that I was like, I don't know what to do. And I was just sitting cross-legged on my bed with like this <laughs> cup of soda. And I was so confused and like I just didn't know what to do with all this energy. So I get this text from one of my agents saying like, are you still in Midtown? Can you come back to the office? And I do not live in Midtown because I don't have the constitution for it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, no, I'm at home. And he was like, well, can can you come back? Like, how quickly can you turn around? And I was like, OK, I guess I can turn around. And I run down to the train. Did you have any thought of like what it was? I thought they were going to drop me. I thought that that was like my last chance was like, you can book this job. Like that's, I don't know because that's me. Of course, that's, of course, of course. Yeah. Me yeah. And I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess like they're going to call me and they're going to say like, you didn't book it. And also this is the end. And like, we don't believe in you anymore. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> and also like knowing who they are as people, like obviously that wasn't going to happen, but I don't know. I thought we were having a different kind of come to Jesus than what actually happened. Um, and, so I get on the train and I get a text from Philip Spath of all people. Um, I mean, not really of all people. I had been, I had just like, <laughs> he's a friend of mine. But it was, it was not a text I was expecting. And it just had a smiley face. And I was like, why would Philip Spath know something that I don't know? And I texted him back just as the train came. So like I had no <laughs> service. I had no nothing. And like the train was stalled. There were terrible things happening. And I just like ran to into the office and they had queued up the oh, 96 God. 97 whatever tony awards where bb north is singing all that jazz and they like waited for me to come up and then somebody hit play on the youtube and that's how they told me i booked it and did you die i died i fell on the floor i literally fell down on the floor oh and my cried. god and my parents were in town so then i ran from like 36th to 56th and because i knew the restaurant they were at and i just like walked in and nodded a whole bunch <laughs> and my mom was like what because oh i had finally told them because uh-huh. i was like oh i can't hang out tomorrow yeah <laughs> fine here's why what did your parents say well nothing because they were in a restaurant and didn't want to make a scene in a public <laughs> place but like my mom stood up and and then we cried a whole lot together I mean, and it was lovely can we talk about podcasts yeah okay i love podcasts um we talk about the ensemble list all the time on this podcast oh my god everyone's so <laughs> you guys are almost at the end of your um pulitzer prize season yes thank you how did it go it's going really well we feel like um i mean i don't want to speak for mo but i feel like i sort of can um <laughs> i don't know we set out to do something a little bit different yeah. and to try and um you gotta find a hook to totally. tell a different kind of story. And yeah. this was our hook into trying to tell this particular story, which was how ensembles are used and how ensembles have historically been used and how, you know, different points in history and different economic times in this country and different... Dif- there's so many factors that go into what shapes the personnel in a show. And this was one way of sort of pointing out different decades in time and saying, here's what... A, here's what it was like to be in the ensemble in 1932, and here's what it's like to be in the ensemble in 2016, and here's how those things have changed, and here's the lens through which we're going to look at some of that. So interesting. I was um, randomly looking at Hamilton on IBDB. Did you know that in like 1919 there was a play called Hamilton on Broadway? I did not know that. And when I clicked on it, 
do you know what the women in the show were credited as? Uh-oh. Like they're like not Nika Grafalanzaroni. What's no, your husband's not. name? Smith. What's his What's his first name? Daniel. It was Mrs. Daniel Smith. <gasps> is how they're credited. Horrifying. Yeah. To me. I mean, horrifying. That's horrifying. Isn't that unreal? Anyway. Um, wow. I know. I wow. know. So you guys, IBDB Hamilton, and there's two. There's the current musical, and there's a play from 1919 with a bunch of men's wives in it. Um, <clears throat> I know. I know the face you're making. It's amazing. Oh, Nika Graflanzaroni, <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you for doing you. this. Thanks Let's do this again. Me. Okay. Of course. I am obsessed with you. I mean, I talk to you like every day anyway. I know so. that's actually true. Let's get on a text chain. Mm-hmm. Okay. So many. Bye. Okay, bye. Just a reminder to get your tickets to BroadwayCon 2017. You can find all the information at broadwaycon.com. And if you just can't wait to get your theater podcast fix, you can check out my other podcasts. One is called Theater People. The other is called Broadway Backstory. You can find them both wherever you get your podcasts. BroadwayCon the Podcast is a partnership between BroadwayCon Media and Theater Podcast Productions. Episodes are produced, mixed, and edited by me, Patrick Hines. We'll be back in one week with another installment of How BroadwayCon Gets Made and with my favorite living actress, Celia Keenan-Bolger. Until then, we ask you to remember this. If you get really pissed and will cut someone slack When they call the cast album a freaking soundtrack Your opinion's been